Amen. What a sweetness to be able to worship together. I haven't seen a lot of you since uh, last calendar year, so if I haven't been able to say that, Happy New Year. It's wonderful to see your faces together, and I trust that God has some good things in store for us as we're getting ready to launch into a new season. I don't know about you, but I love a good resolution. I think resolutions can be a good thing. They get a knock every now and then, but it's a new year, and everybody's ready to make a fresh start. Some of you are going to lose a little weight. Some of you are going to get in shape. Some of you are going to get better sleep. In the first service, I said that, and they like almost broke out into applause. I was like, all right, okay, all right, touching on it right there. We're going to get that project done. Some of you are going to start to read that good book. Some of you may be going to write that good book. Who knows? But I love a good resolution. And I want to share with you today just a core conviction. I believe, and I'm still growing in this, but I believe with my heart. That's why I say core conviction. Everything good and meaningful in my life begins and ends with prayer and so this year I want to be a a stronger man of prayer I want to be a pastor who knows how to pray I want to be a leader who knows how to pray I want us to be in a church who knows how to pray and so that's one of my conviction and Amy and I both share that conviction as we pray for each other and with each other and for you as a church that we want to see prayer take root some of you are actually doing the 40 days of prayer devotional over this season great time to kind of lean into some of those resources I've got another one for you Uh, So uh, part of this organization that uh, Amy and I work with some called the College of Prayer, they do a 21-day fast, and it's a season of fasting. Most people don't fast for 21 days straight, so if you're feeling like that's like a turn off. It's a breakthrough fast, 21 days, actually starting today. And so I'm going to give you a little bit more detail later on in the message, but in that spirit of how do we make prayer a greater priority Sometimes just doing the things that are in front of us, jumping in with some people, sharpening each other as iron sharpens iron and uh, leaning into that priority of prayer. So I want to encourage you in that. I'll give you a little bit more detail in the context of this message here in just a little bit. But today we're going to introduce a new series to you as we're going through the Gospel of Matthew. If you have your books, uh, Bibles, you can turn to uh, the Gospel of Matthew. If you have your books, it's like a very classroom moment there for me. Turn in your syllabus to the Gospel of Matthew. Um, And the series is simply entitled, Thy Kingdom Come, uh, which is a theme that we're going to be going through over these next few weeks. We're also going to give you an opportunity to read through the entire book of Matthew, though we will not even remotely touch on all of the subjects and verses that are there. Again, that would be one of those projects that would take us months. Uh, The bigger context is that we have a goal of actually taking you through the entire body of scripture over the next several years and so we're going to go through this book and several other books uh, in this uh, coming year and so right now we're going to be in the gospel of Matthew but we're only going to be there for four weeks and so during that time, we're going to encourage you to read through the entire book of Matthew. We have little bookmarks at the Info Center. Last time we did this, you guys snarfed them all up right away. So just grab them again if you want them, just to kind of keep tracking with us. I know many of you have devotional things you're already doing, but if that kind of uh, is a good addendum to what you're doing, we'll give you that invite to read through the book of Matthew with us over these uh, next several weeks. Uh, the Bible talks a lot about kingdom, Right? So there's over 300 scriptural references to the kingdoms of this world and usually referring to the temporary nature of the kingdoms of this world. 
Uh, I've been reading in the book of Daniel, just in my own devotions. So Daniel chapter seven is talking about this kingdom will rise up, this kingdom will rise up, this kingdom will overthrow this kingdom. And you kind of get this sort of messy picture of the kingdoms that will come, the rulers that will come, the work that God does through them, but they're not permanent nations. They're not permanent kingdoms. In verse 18 of Daniel seven, it says, the saints of the most high shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever. So there is an eternal nature of the kingdom that Jesus preached. The weird thing is, it doesn't really look almost anything like we think of when we think about kingdom. In Hebrews chapter 12, uh, it says, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And in this last uh, 10 years or so, I think I've probably seen more shaking in our world, in our culture, even locally, than I've ever seen before. So it's sort of coming true. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken, but we are promised an unshakable kingdom in Christ. So the theme of kingdom shows up in all kinds of places. Jesus is all about the kingdom. Jesus talked about his mission the gospel of the kingdom. He talked in his message, repent for the kingdom of God is near or at hand. Even Jesus in his prayer life, he taught us to pray, thy kingdom come and thy will be done. So Jesus was all about kingdom. So this theme of the series uh, is gonna be kingdom, although we could probably look at the Gospel of Matthew through many different lenses. That's the one that we are choosing as we go through this. So today, what I'm gonna do is just try to orient us a little bit around this idea in an introductory message and get us in the right posture. And uh, I'm sort of looking forward to Uh, At the end of the message, I actually want to call us together as a church family for just a good kingdom posture and blessing of what God has for you in this coming year. Next week, we're going to be talking all about prayer, staying connected to the kingdom life. That's what it's all about. Week three, we're going to talk about the cost of discipleship in the kingdom. Jesus talked a lot about that. And then week four, we're going to talk about the kingdom and the mission of the church. So here's sort of a a working definition, but I'll call it a partial definition that I'd like us to unpack today. This is the message essentially uh, in its entirety today. I wanna talk about kingdom as a new reality marked by a change in proximity, priority, and destiny. And yes, there's probably a hundred other things that you could see the ways in which the kingdom of God brings change, but I'd like to focus us for the context of this message today on that. So it's a new reality marked by a change in proximity, priority, and destiny. Uh, So we're gonna kind of cover those four words. But let's read together Matthew chapter four. Um, If you have your Bibles, you can flip over there. I'm gonna start us in verse 17 today. And uh, we also have it up on the screen if you would like to follow along. So Matthew four seventeen and following, it says this. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Pause for one second. We're not done with the scripture, but just pause on that for a second because how many of you have heard this passage before? Many, okay? So we just read it over. Yeah, you're gonna fish for people. Just think about how weird that must have been. I mean, you're a fisherman. You're in the middle of doing the nets thing and you're catching fish or whatever and this guy comes over and says, hey, stop doing that. I'm gonna teach you how to fish for people. I would have some questions. 
Like, what are you talking about? You know, but they did. They went with him. They said, we're going to figure this out. He's going he's to show us what he means by that. And they probably didn't fully understand it at that time. For, for, moving on. Verse 21. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. So also fishermen. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. And look at verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And we're going to stop here at the beginning of verse 24. And news about him spread. This is the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. We see Jesus preaching the gospel of the kingdom. What in the world does that mean? What is this kingdom of God, and how do we, as Christ followers, live in step with that reality? That's kind of the tension that we got to figure out. So I understand that there's probably plenty of people listening to this message, people here in this room. Maybe you're not sure if you have a relationship with Jesus. You're not sure what that means. Maybe you're exploring that. There are several of you that do. You have a relationship with Christ. You said, I've committed my heart and my life to him. The tension that you have in Christ is trying to figure out how to be a kingdom person living in a world that looks very different than the kingdom of God. That's a, it's a tension. That's what we hold. That's every day of your life. You're figuring out what does that actually mean to be a kingdom person in the job that you have, in the career that you've chosen, in systems and governments and, and orders that oftentimes don't look anything like the kingdom that Christ promoted. So we're in the world. We're not of the world. So we've got to kind of figure that thing out, and I think that's part of this kingdom reality. So that's, what, that's, the, that's the task. So kingdom is a new reality marked by a change in proximity, priority, and destiny. That's where we're going to start today. So this new reality, I think, I think we don't want to miss this. This idea of a new reality. So Jesus is coming in. He's beginning his earthly ministry. And interestingly, most of the people that followed Christ didn't quite know where he was going. Right? I mean, there were all kinds of misconceptions about the kingdom that he was bringing in. And so many people thought, oh, he's going to be a military leader. Oh, he's going to set the nation free. Oh, he's going to do all these things. And, and oftentimes they were surprised when Jesus did not cooperate with the beautiful plan that they had for him. That he was building a kingdom that they didn't fully understand. In fact, he had to tell them, my kingdom is not of this world. And I'm sure there were even times that he was maybe a little exasperated. You guys don't, you, you have no idea really what I'm trying to do here. So there was a new reality or a reality check that was coming in. Now, let me just give you this as a little bit of context since we're picking up in Matthew chapter four. Uh, Jesus' life uh, and birth is kind of uh, recorded in, in Matthew chapter two. Uh, we, we see some other things, though, that happen that are pretty foundational before we get to this point. Jesus gets baptized in Matthew chapter 3, and that's a really wild scene, right? Behold the, the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. J John the Baptist, who is Jesus' cousin, is baptizing people in a baptism of repentance, and Jesus comes in and says, I want to get baptized too, and it's just like, you should be baptizing me. I shouldn't be baptizing you, but as a step of obedience, Jesus is going through this. And then in that moment, we see the heavens open and the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus. And then the voice of God audibly says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, that's a crazy picture. 
Like if you can get your mind around that for just a second, and I know many of you have heard that story before, you've heard that, you've read Matthew 3, and we did this tendency to just kind of glaze over, but think about this reality of all three parts of the Trinity present with the audible voice of God saying, this is my son, I'm pleased with him, and by the way, listen to him. That's a crazy and powerful picture. It's a new reality, and I think it's important for us to understand this because if we approach kingdom living with the expectation of reality as we know it, we will probably miss out on kingdom as Jesus intended it. And that's really vital for us. And I'll just give you one other example to set the context for you. Do you know what happens right after Jesus is baptized? Matthew 4, right before the passage we get, what happens to Jesus? Wilderness, right? Temptation, spiritual warfare, right? So if your reality check is, I want to follow Christ and I want to be a kingdom person, but I want to do that devoid of the supernatural work of God, devoid of the spiritual battles that that might entail, you're going the wrong direction. You're going to miss out on what kingdom actually is. So that's part of this reality check that we've got to just kind of do a little bit of business with. So new reality. Uh, let me give you an example from C.S. Lewis. In Screwtape Letters, uh, how many of you have read Screwtape? Yeah, really fascinating. So if you don't know the story, it's, it's sort of one, it's letters from one kind of more senior demon to a more junior demon kind of giving him advice. He's kind of coaching him on how to deal with his human that he's been assigned to. Fascinating kind of picture. Uh, so in Screwtape Letters, um, C.S. Lewis kind of gives this idea. Satan's best weapon is the real world. And here's what he means by this. In fact, you see this carried as maybe a badge of honor if you're in, in academic circles. You, you work with the academic intelligentsia, and so we say in those circles, people might say, uh, God is fairy tales, stories of Jesus. I, I don't really have interest in that. That's all kind of you know make-believe sort of things. I'm a person of the real world. And the fascinating thing is when you look at culture today, many of whom would espouse that. God is fairy tales, I'm a real world kind of person. And then you ask them how they live their life, and the things that they value, and they will tell you all about the things that they feel very deeply, which are actually not real world kind of things by their definition or by that definition. So there's an interesting kind of disconnect in that, but here's C.S. Lewis saying, uh, Satan's best weapon is the real world, why? And here's why he says this, because as long as I have a changing sort of secular view of what real is, I tend to remain distracted by a, by a myopic view of the thing that is right in front of me. I never contemplate the bigger picture of life's direction, life's purpose, or higher calling that yearns for something that is transcendent. Now this is important, just to understand this. The yearning of the human heart is not for greater satisfaction in the material. It's for something transcendent. That's why, and the, I mean, the proof of this is the amount of us in this very room or the people in your circles who have said, there's got to be more to life than what I'm experiencing. I mean, this is like the heart cry of a generation that would say, well, God's a fairy tale, but there's still got to be more to life, right? So you see this in your circles. Maybe you've seen it in your own life. Incidentally, just, I like, I like participation, but if you have ever been at a place spiritually where you said, I'm just hungry. There's got to be something more. Uh, just raise a hand. Yeah, most of us have experienced that. Now, if, if that moment 
led you to a place of greater encounter with the person of Christ and who he was, raise your hand again. You see what I'm saying? Like the heart cry in us is often for the transcendent. The things we're disappointed with in life is the material. And so we got to have this kind of reality check because here comes Jesus into the world and he's, he's presenting something that is different than what we are so sure is to be our reality. So back to Screwtape, Wormwood says this uh, to Screwtape. Wormwood's the, the more senior guy and saying to Screwtape his, his underling, your business is to fix his attention on real life. Listen to this. And don't let him ask what he means by real. You get it? Don't let him ask what he means by real. So in our passage today, we see Jesus breaking into life as people knew it. And as Christ followers, when, when Christ comes into your life, you encounter him, Jesus breaks into life as you know it with a message and a mission that kind of checks our reality. And I'm telling you, this is, this is perfectly relevant. You see this in your world today. I'll give you a, a couple more examples in a few minutes. But you see this in your world today. But here's, just think through this. You think you understand life and then Jesus comes along and says, let me explain kingdom life to you. You think, many of you here, you say, I think I understand vocation. I think I understand calling. And then you encounter Jesus and he says, let me explain kingdom vocation and kingdom calling to you. And it may not be the same. In fact, I see people, there's people in this room who have said, I've left vocation to follow Christ. You may even think you understand your duty to God only to find that Jesus wants to show you what a relationship with him actually looks like. So I would just suggest this. When we think about this new reality, when we think about what does it mean to be a kingdom person, how do I walk in that tension, Jesus has this tendency to shake us out of our real-world slumber, and he gives us a reality check that we already feel. Something is missing when God is not in us. So I remember when I was, when I was first kind of coming to faith in Christ, I encountered a couple of quotes that were so powerful to me. I've shared some of these with you guys before. But they were so powerful because that was the story of my life. You know, when I read things like Augustine who said, you have made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And I was, that was my story. I was so restless until I found rest in Christ. I thought about the Westminster uh, Confession. Some of you know this if you've grown up with that kind of background or whatever. What, what is the chief end of humanity? And it's to know God. Do you know the rest of it? And, and enjoy him forever. That is a fascinating kind of reality check. We have this idea, what does it mean to enjoy God forever? And so just to kind of get us started in this posture of a new kind of reality, and Jesus brings a new reality, a different reality to us, I wonder what would happen in your life if you said, you know, I want to see in 2023, let this be the year where I take a step forward of knowing what it is to actually know who God is and enjoy his, his presence. Man, I'd like to grow in that. I think you'd like to grow in that. It can feel elusive, but this is a new reality that Jesus is introducing. So, new reality that is marked by a couple of things, and I want to just note those things with you sort of quickly. Number one, a new reality that is marked by change in proximity. This is so vitally important. If you are a disciple of Christ, follower of Christ, you're committing your life to him, understand this. 
as we read through the Bible, we need to know where we are reading and where we are on the timeline of God's history. Not only in the text that we're reading, so here we're in Matthew, Jesus has come, but he hasn't gone to the cross yet. That's a specific point in time. You are living on the other side of the death and resurrection and ascension of Christ. It's vitally important that you know that because on the other side of the death and resurrection of Christ, the proximity between God and you is drastically different. So let me just give you a couple examples of this. The redemption, you could even say it this way, we're on the back nine of God's work. You know, when we talk about creation, fall, redemption, restoration, we're, we're well on the back line of that. We are now in the process of helping with the redemption and restoration that God is doing in the world. That's the calling of the church. The redemption was finished when Jesus became Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, it's, it's, that was a massive change in proximity. We just celebrated Christmas, right? Advent, that was a massive change in the proximity between God and humanity. God came to be with us. As some have said, he condescended to our level. The death and resurrection of Christ eliminated the separation of sin between humanity and God. That is a massive change in proximity. Jesus comes to his disciples with the simple message, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. I'm telling you, it's a ridiculous call, but it is changing the proximity between them and him. Jesus comes to us with the invitation to a restored relationship with our Creator. And this is a massive change in proximity. Now, I want to acknowledge with you, because I know the pain of feeling like that sounds really good, but it doesn't sound like what I'm living on a day-to-day basis. There are times that you are going to feel homesick for heaven there are times in this world where God is for reasons that I don't fully understand but I want to make the argument to you I don't think I should fully understand the ways and the, and, and the manner in which he works and this, is, this is the funny thing right so Isaiah 55 says uh, his thoughts are higher than my thoughts his ways are higher than my ways you guys know that passage and then I get bent out of shape when I don't understand him right that's part, that's part of like, well, I, don't, I, can't, I can't get God. I don't understand him. But I've just acknowledged his ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. So I'm not going to suggest to you that it is easy, but I do want you to understand that there is something to shoot for. There is an aspirational goal that you were not intended to go through and call yourself a kingdom person and be rooted in this world. That you are a kingdom person who's rooted in the presence and the power of Christ. So uh, a simple example, but a great quote from Sky Jathani. I love his book, With. Uh, he says this. He says, properly understood, the church is not an institution. It is the community of Jesus' followers on earth, men and women and children, filled with God's Spirit, living in communion with Him, with one another, and with the world. So there's a change in proximity that happens when the kingdom way begins to take root. Jesus was bringing in a new reality. So there's a second change. There's a reality marked by a change in priority. I was excited about this point. Here's what I want to lean into with you. Notice in verse 20, Peter and Andrew, at once they left their nets and they followed him. So they get this admittedly bizarre call. Yeah, you guys like fishing. Let me teach you to fish for people. Okay, that sounds great. Let's do that. 
but they did it. Uh, the brothers next that, that follow James and John in verse 22, we see that immediately they left the boat and their father. They're mending the nets and they followed Christ. Now please understand this. Here's the question. And this is a great question as you start a new year. The question is, when you think about priority, what really matters? I don't want you to read this passage and assume like, oh, they left the nets, left their dad. I mean, listen, this is family. This is security. This is vocation. This is all of the things that kingdoms of this world say you got to hold on to those things as tightly as you can. Safeguard those things as best as you possibly can. And they're walking away from those things in order to follow Christ. It's a change of priority. Jesus has this funny way of stepping into our lives with audacious requests to leave the safety of what we know and to follow him with kingdom-sized faith. And interestingly, again, this is what we ultimately long for. As much as it can be terrifying, we want to give ourselves to something of eternal importance. Like I literally, I've let, I've yet to speak to anyone, whether they are professing uh, a, belie- a believer, a follower of Christ, uh, or just a person on the street. I have yet to talk to someone who says, "I want to give my life to mundane nothing." And yet you talk to anybody, if they're old enough to understand a little bit of the track of their life, they'll say, I want to give my life to something that matters. And Jesus knows that. And Jesus invites us. This is all priority. The reality of the kingdom is a change in priority. This is also why we pray and fast. I mentioned before, this is an area I want to keep growing. But the fact of the matter is, without the perspective of Christ, prayer and fasting makes absolutely no sense none I mean the best you could do is you could say well maybe by praying it sort of settles you down and helps you be a little bit more at peace with yourself or something like that but from a practical standpoint if the divine work of God is not a real thing prayer makes no sense at all and fasting makes even less hey you know what you really should do is not eat for a while (laughs) you know know, one of the three main things that you need to survive Um, yeah just don't do that for a while but why would you do that But it does make sense when you say because in the priority of God's kingdom, we are always called to give up good things in order to pursue better things and things of eternal perspective and importance. So let me give you this invite. I already said to you, some of you are doing the 40 days of prayer and going through some of those devotionals. Lean into that. That's great. Um, The 21-day breakthrough fast actually starts today. That's through a group with College of Prayer. Tomorrow, I'm going to send out a... uh, a um, uh, from the pastor's desk letter. Some of you get those. Some of you throw those away. I know. Don't throw it away tomorrow. Uh, I'm going to include a link uh, in that if you want to say, hey, I want to just jump into that. You don't have to go without food for 21 days, but it's called a breakthrough fast because it's a season of leaning in. It's a season of saying, God, I'm going after kingdom things. And the discipline of prayer and the discipline of fasting, these are simply tools that God can use to bring us into greater focus with himself. I know that there are people listening to this message who would say, my life is so out of focus, right? My life is so out of focus, I haven't heard the voice of God and I don't know if I, what I would do if I did. Seasons like this are vital and important for us to get our hearts realigned with God, to listen to what's on his heart, 
to begin to hear from him again. So I just want to encourage you in that. And if some of us want to go through that, I think it'll be a great opportunity for us. Now, we're talking about a change in priority. Perhaps there was no better example of a priority check than the unfinished Monday night football game on January 1. How many of you saw some of that? How many of you know, how many of you don't know what I'm talking about? We'll just shame you and say, well, okay, you, okay, you might be, have lived under a rock for a while. It's all good. We love you. Here's what's going on. DeMar Hamlin from the Buffalo Bills almost died, and suddenly no one cared about football. That was the story. That's the, that's the headline. Um, it's a very serious situation. But think about this. For, for priority, all of the sudden, people who commit their life who get up early, who work hard, who give money, who do all this stuff for this thing, suddenly realize this is not the most important thing happening right now. It was a priority check. Now here's the crazy thing. If you had asked every one of the football players, coaches and owners, and fans, if they thought the game would be played to completion, how many of them would have said no? That didn't happen. You don't start games and not finish them. Why? These are multi-million dollar kind of events. You got TV contracts. You have all of this stuff that's going on. But all of a sudden, this, this comes to a halt. So, so Monday, uh, Amy and I had watched the, the bowl game, Penn State winning, woo, uh, with, uh, with some friends. And then we came home, and we were just kind of hanging out and doing some unpacking and getting ready for the, for the week and everything like that. And uh, I flipped the TV on just to see if there's any football. And the, the football game was on and no one was playing football. And I was like, what are they doing? And you could just tell by the sound of the voice of the people talking, there's great concern. And I'm hearing over and over again, please pray, please pray. I'm like, what, what, what channel is this? What are we talking about? We're having a prayer meeting on national TV? Like, what's going on, right? What was going on was that suddenly life mattered more than football. It just was a priority check. It was a fascinating one. So the reality of Christ's kingdom is that he changes our priorities. Now the interesting thing is, it oftentimes we need, I don't know why this is about humanity, but it seems like we need a tragedy to wake us up. Because until there is a tragedy, we don't think about death. We don't like thinking about death. Until we think about death, we don't think about our own mortality. If, if we don't think about our own mortality, we don't think about eternity. If we don't think about eternity, we don't tend to think about God. So sometimes, even in something that is a tragedy or the appearance of a tragedy, all of a sudden gets us very, very much in tune with what is happening in the spiritual realm. You might even say, what is happening in the kingdom of heaven come to earth. The one that we have a tendency to ignore with our human eyes. So the kingdom brings a different priority, and it's fascinating to see the hunger that is there for that. So I'm going to wrap us up with just one more thing. Uh, this new reality of Christ marked by a change in destiny. And this is actually pretty simple. Jesus calls to the disciples, come follow me, and they go. They go. Now again, don't, don't gloss over it. Don't run by the sacrifice that that, that that response means. But it also means this, that at that moment when they heard the voice of Christ and they see him calling them to himself and their lives are irrevocably changed at that moment. They're never going to be the same. 
They're not going to get everything right, for heaven's sake. They've got more things wrong. It makes me feel really good about being a Christ follower when I look at the disciples of Christ because they mess up all the time. They did not get everything right, but their lives were irrevocably changed all the way to the point that they gave their lives for the mission of Christ and for his kingdom. The reality marked by the change in destiny. But it's bigger than that. Jesus went through Galilee. Verse 23 says he's teaching in their synagogues. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And he's healing disease and sickness among the people. And the news about him is spreading. So what do we say? Kingdom is a new reality marked by a change in proximity, in priority, in destiny. Why? Because the shalom of God is being restored one life at a time. Broken people finding wholeness. The kingdom of God has come to earth. That's how Jesus explained it. The kingdom of God has come among you. I want to make one other little just observation with you. So I mentioned before, baptism of Jesus in Matthew 3, the temptation of Jesus in Matthew 4, before we get to this passage, right? Do you remember what the temptation, the last temptation of Christ from Satan was? There were three. The third one was he said, I want you to worship me And if you bow down and worship me, what do you get? So I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. Isn't that fascinating? Here is Jesus coming to bring the kingdom of God to earth. The temptation is, bow down and worship me. You can have all of this. Jesus says, I don't want all of this. Jesus didn't want power. Jesus didn't want prestige. He didn't want fame and notoriety. He was bringing the kingdom of God to earth. And again, it's like something that Satan didn't understand, something that humanity didn't understand, something we get it wrong more than we get it right. But it's changing the destiny of the people. So here's what I'd like to do. I would like to wrap up today with just the, the word that comes to my mind is just posture. How do, how do you want to start a new year, right? And uh, we're probably in all kinds of different places. There's probably a spectrum of if you were to see where we're at. Some of us are encouraged and excited. Some of us are frustrated. Some of us are down. Some of us aren't sure how we feel, etc. But I thought, what, what a cool thing for us as a church family if we were to simply say, God, we want to commit the year to you. We want to be open to the work that you have for us. And here's the, here's the key. This is the beauty of following Christ. He doesn't mind when we ask him for help with stuff. In fact, he... He kind of requires it of us, right? So when we say, God, help us to be kingdom people, he's sort of waiting for us to ask. Some of us might be in that place where we're saying, well, if God shows up, then I'll be a kingdom person. I, I think God's waiting for us to say, help us to be kingdom people. And I think we'll see more of God showing up in our personal lives and our worship and the work that God wants to do in this community, the work that God's not done doing in this church. Uh, so, posture of, of just receiving from him. So, worship team, why don't you guys scoot up here. I'm going to say a real quick prayer for us. Worship team is going to lead us in, and then uh, I'm going to invite us to come forward. Uh, just, I, I would like us just to do this as a church family. So, we're going to just, just come on right up here, and we're, none of us, we're not going to fit here. The first ones get the more spittle from me, okay? Right up here. And then I just have a couple specific things I just want to pray over you. But I think the, the, the posture of doing that together is really beautiful. For now, just stand. You can just stand and stay where you are. Worship team's going to lead us uh, in this song. And I'm going to call you forward. And then I just want to just kind of close this service with a little bit of uh, prayer uh, over us, give you an opportunity to be responsive in that way. So are we ready? 
They're going to sing so sweetly that, that you're just, you're just going to be like, just sign me up. Let's go. Kingdom. I want to I do this. Uh, this is a great song of commitment. And so they're going to sing that over us, and then I'm going to call us up, and we'll, uh, we'll pray together.